Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. I hope you guys are doing good. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be in there in that scripture in just a minute. Um, when you walk into a child's bedroom, you're going to find a lot of things. Uh, most children's bedrooms are the same. You're going to walk in, you're going to find a bed that's probably unmade. Now, if I went to your house today and I walked into your child's bedroom, how many of that, how many of those rooms would have the bed unmade in there? Come on, you be honest. Like, nobody makes a bed unless, like, company that you don't really like is coming over. Amen? That's how you know that you're not liked in that home. If you walk into a child's room and the bed is made, right? If it's not made, it's like you're kind of family. But you're going to find that in a child's room. A bed unmade. You're going to find dresser drawers half open and the contents in disarray. All of that time that, that their mom spent folding those clothes become magically unfold the second they put them in the drawer. There's going to be toys filling every single available space in that room. Clothes are going to be on the floor that were, being, that were told to be put in the drawer. And now as you're looking around, you can't tell which clothes are clean, which clothes are dirty, because none of them are folded. This is a child's room. Amen? Come on. Um, you're going to look around. You're going to find costumes. Man, in my home, there are costumes everywhere. Uh, we should actually make ourselves like a Halloween shop because we have thousands, it feels like, of superhero costumes and lightsabers and all of these things. Uh, kids love to play pretend. There's coloring books and stickers. And most likely, in every single one of your child's bedroom, there is some sort of mediocre artwork on the wall. Amen? Because you've told them that it is a masterpiece and it's the greatest thing ever and you love it and, and they hang it on the wall so that you get to look at that forever and ever and ever. And this is a child's bedroom. And sometimes you walk in and it can be frustrating because it's so messy and it's so disorganized. But when you walk into a child's room, there's an overwhelming sense of innocence. Yes? Just, just as you walk in, there's innocence. Now, I got to say, in, in the early service, when, when I would kind of pause for response, you can always tell like a preacher is wanting a response when he like stops and looks at you. And this, I tell you, this first service this morning, they just left me hanging all day long. And I was like, hello, McFly, or, you know, whatever. Um, and uh, people, like, like, if I pause and look, just kind of throw me a bone and say, you're right, preach on, brother, that's a good word. So, uh, so help me out. I even told them to not even worry about it because the second service is going to be a lot better today. So, so there you go. Amen. Amen. So, so there is this overwhelming sense of innocence in a child's room. Uh, I think every parent of a two-year-old has experienced the same thing when it comes to this. If, if you've ever given your two-year-old child a bath, then the exact same thing happens every time. Uh, you run the bath water, and they're in there playing, and they're playing with all of their toys and stuff, and they stay in there so long that they get wrinkly everywhere, and the water's cold. By the time they're ready to get out, the water's freezing, their lips are blue, and they're shivering in there, and so you finally get them out, you wrap them in that little Jedi towel, they're all wrapped up, and, and uh, then you lean over to drain the tub, because you can't have water in there, you don't want your child to drown, and when you're leaning over to drain the tub, you look back, after telling your child to go to your bedroom, we're going to get some pajamas on, and instead of a child going to their bedroom with the pajamas on, you look behind you, and there's a towel laying there with no body in it, you know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> and then you hear these words, I'm naked, right? 
And they take off running through the house. And they run through every room in the house. And every sibling that's there, they make this pronouncement. I'm naked. And if you have grandparents there, they're going to run to the grandparents. I'm naked. If you have visitors or neighbors there, they're going to run to them too because they don't care. And tell everybody in the house that they're naked. And they're just running around. And it's so cute. And everybody's laughing. And it's very appropriate and funny. And, and what they want you to do is to chase them. Yes? And you chase after them. I'm going to get those bunsies, you know, like this. And it's, it's just this great, innocent time, and it's, it's so fun, and, and everybody's laughing, and their innocence just makes it so hilarious. The, the innocence of a child is so refreshing. There's nothing better than that. I mean, it just brings you so much joy to see a, a child in their innocence, and, and, and their just kindness, and their laugh, and, and it's just so much fun. And, and it's funny that this innocence, it's most notable when they try to have adult conversations, isn't it? When they try to talk about some adult things. A couple weeks ago, Titus came home from school, and he was telling us about a subject they were talking about. I don't know what it was. They were talking about some animals that mate for life, and, you know, they find each other. The, you know, the, the boy bird does a dance or whatever and wins the heart of the girl, and then, and then they're together forever. And, and, you know, so Titus was telling us this, and he says they, he does the dance, and then she chooses him, and then, and then you know, they're, they mate, and then they're together forever. And I asked him, what does that mean? He said, what? What does what mean? They're together forever. I said, what does, what does mate mean? What does it mean when they mate? And he says, get married? You know, with a question mark? Yes, let's go with that. We're going to stay right there. Get married, that's good enough. That's good theology. We're going to stay there, and, and they're married forever. Wonderful. These little birdies love each other like your mommy and me. It's so wonderful. And uh, it's so funny because they, they try to have these adult conversations, and they're just absolutely dripping with innocence, and we love it, and we laugh, and it, and it makes us smile. And it's the innocence in children that I believe sets them apart. It's what gives them special VIP status in the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen? And it's, what, it's, it's the reason why we try to do everything we can to give them VIP status here in this church. We believe that our children, our nursery age, our, our young kids, our grade school kids, they are our VIPs every single week. We want to honor them. We want to love them. We want to do everything we can to tell them about Jesus, to let them have a great experience, to lift them up, to encourage them, to let them know that they are wonderful and great in the king's eyes and and they are our vips on a weekly basis we love them we love them they're a big deal to us amen and so yeah amen and so what we're doing in this series, we're, we're starting this new series called The Bedroom, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at different bedrooms. We're going to look at the married couple's bedrooms, and we're going to talk about it being a place of intimacy. We're going to look at like the single and the unmarried couple's bedroom and, and look at it, the place of integrity. And today, we're going to talk about the child's bedroom and look at it as a place of innocence. If a child's bedroom is a place of innocence, then I believe that one of the most important and primary roles for parents and grandparents and, and guardians is to fight for, protect, and aggressively defend our children's innocence. We need to allow our kids to be kids for as long as they can be because they live in a world that is aggressively forcing them to grow up too soon. We need to let our kids and fight for the opportunity for our kids' right to be kids. Just need to let them. There are many issues that we face in this life and in this world today that are directly um, spoken about in Scripture. If, if you have a problem with fear, you can go right to those verses, 
fear and, and claim those over your lives. But then there are other um, issues that we address and, and we experience in life that are not directly addressed in scriptures. And so instead of finding that verse that speaks to the topic, we, what we have to do is we have to try to dig a little bit and understand the heart of God. And, and when we understand the heart of God, then we can use godly, Holy Spirit-led wisdom to try to answer some questions that we may face regarding this topic. And so I'll just say this today. What we're going to do is we're going to try to discover the heart of God when it comes to this issue of our children and defending their innocence. And, and we're going to try to um, address some things that, that I believe are, are biblically wise for us as parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, and, and all of that, overseers, to, to do and apply in our kids' lives. And, and what it is, it's my prayer that as we step into some of these things, as we talk about some potentially delicate matters, that the Holy Spirit would guide us and that he would open our hearts to receive what he would have for us and uh, keep us from um, receiving those things that, that may not be his wisdom. And so before we go there, let's just do this. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. We're gonna pray one more time over the remainder of this message today. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for the great privilege it is to be your children and to be in your kingdom. Lord Jesus. We all see ourselves as your children, and what an honor it is to be able to call you Father. God, we thank you for that. I pray right now that for the remainder of our message, uh, Holy Spirit, you would guide and direct my words, that you would anoint hearts here to, to receive, that you would anoint ears to listen, and that you would give us just the, the steps to take to be able to defend, protect, and guard the innocence of the children that you have given us charge over. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 says this. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so the disciples have been following Jesus for some time now. They've been watching all of the miracles, all of the amazing things that Jesus has done, and all the amazing things that Jesus is saying. And uh, they're, they're, they're re beginning to realize that there's something different about the kingdom of heaven. And they are excited to be able to be a part of it. It's something different than they've ever seen before. They know that Jesus is amazing and he's going to be doing great things and so even in this kingdom of heaven where Jesus is talking about humility and the first shall be last and all of this stuff the disciples are jockeying for position they want to know what do I have to do to advance the the corporate ladder in this kingdom how can I be like a top tier advisor what do I have to do to be great in this kingdom what opportunities for advancement are there for me who is the greatest and what can I do to model my life after them so I can be great in the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus says, in, or Jesus does this in verse 2. It says, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And this is important to understand the way this looks for the remainder of our conversation today. So they ask, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And before Jesus answers, he looks out amongst the crowd. He finds a small child and he says, come here, buddy. And this child comes up and sits right next to him, potentially even sits on his lap. He's standing right there, um, and he uses this child as a visual illustration for the remainder of his, his conversation with them. And he says, he says this, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so the disciples ask, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He calls a young boy, sits him next to him, and it says, you've got to humble yourself like a child. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be like this boy. And we've heard this before, we've read this before, and we've stopped here, and then we've tried to apply this to our lives. Say, what does it mean to be great? Um, how do we become childlike? How do we have childlike faith? How do we humble ourselves like a child? And um, then usually that's where we stop. 
Jesus says, you want to be great? you got to be like this child. And then we think, as we picture this in our minds, that after that, Jesus says, be like this child. Then he turns to little Johnny and says, okay, Johnny, go find your mommy. Here's a sucker for you. Thanks for helping me with this visual illustration. And then we're just done with it. We think that's where Jesus ends. But that's not where the conversation ends at all. Because after that, something really strange happens. Jesus answers the question, how do you be great? Jesus says, be like a child. But then Jesus changes the conversation. He goes off on a little bit of a rant. It it, it looks like Jesus hijacks the question, hijacks the rest of the conversation to tell the audience, to tell the disciples something that he wants them to know. It's as if he's saying, look, you're not asking the right questions, and because you're not asking the right questions, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm also going to answer the question that you should have asked. And in this, he's really um, revealing the heart of God. He's saying, I'm going to answer a question that you didn't ask because I want you to know what the heart of God is. I want you to know what matters to the heart of God. And he changes the conversation from who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He changes it from that to acknowledging the value and worth of children and a culture that placed no value and no worth on children. In, in you remember time and time again that uh, parents were trying to bring their little ones to Jesus and, and the disciples were constantly like, no, 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 keep the kids away, keep the kids away. And Jesus is saying, knock it off, bring the kids to me. And Jesus, all throughout his ministry, we see him acknowledging the value and worth of children who, like I said, in that culture had very little value and very little worth. And I want you to see this as it will guide the remainder of our conversation here this morning. Remember, there's a child sitting right next to him. How do you be great? Be like a child. And then he goes on. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't send little Johnny back to his seat. He he goes on. And I think it's important for us to understand the rest of this conversation. Verse 5. He says, And anyone who welcomes a little child like this, the, the one that's sitting next to him, on my behalf is welcoming me. Jesus is saying, If you want to honor me, honor him. If you want to bless me, bless him. If you want to show respect to me, show respect to him. And and this would have just been completely mind-blowing for the disciples and the people of that day. What? In order to honor you, we have to honor the little ones? That makes absolutely no sense. They're not worthy of any honor. And Jesus says, you want to honor me, honor them. If you choose, or, or he goes on. He says, if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the seas. Now, in this, Jesus takes a radical left turn, doesn't he? How do we be great? Be like a kid. Oh, by the way, if you cause one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for you to have a gigantic rock thrown around your neck and you thrown into the depths of the sea. That's a better um, result for you than to cause one of these little ones to sin. Like, Jesus just instantly changes the tone of the room and everybody's like, whoa, take it easy. Like, have a Snickers, Jesus. Relax a little bit. What's going on? These are, these are really harsh words. I mean, Jesus is aggressive here. Verse 7. He says, what sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. Remember, there's a child sitting next to him this entire time. Jesus is trying to reveal to these people the heart of God. And it says, so if your hand causes you, or it would seem in the context of what's being said in this environment, a child. So if your hand causes you or a child to sin, cut it off. 
It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both hands and feet. Verse 9, and if your eye causes you, or it would seem this child, to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Remember the context. This seems a little inappropriate that Jesus is saying this while a child is standing next to him. But he is revealing to them, again, the heart of God. Jesus is saying, I want you to know the value and the worth of children. I want you to know how important they are to me. This is what Jesus is saying. And he's saying, I want you to know the way God looks at it if you put these little ones in a position to sin. If it's your fault that he or she is sinning, I want you to know how seriously God takes this. Ultimately, I believe that he is raising their value He is raising their worth. He is showing the people how much God loves the little children. We sing that song, Jesus Loves the Little Children, and and it is so theologically deep, I, I think we diminish it by looking at it as just a children's song and nothing more. But God, or Jesus is saying, I want you to know how important these little ones are to me. Verse 10, it says this, Jesus says, beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. Verse 10 is a very difficult verse to understand. We don't fully know what Jesus is saying. I've looked at many commentaries to try to explain to me what this verse is, and most of them just skip it altogether. They don't even comment on it because they don't fully know what it means. But by the inclusion of this verse, it at least suggests that God has a special place in his heart for children. And what he's saying, it seems, is that the angels that God has placed in charge of the little ones have special access to the throne room of God. Like they have VIP passes, they get to cut to the front of the line of the throne room of God, and they are always there. Jesus loves the little children. Amen? And, and, and he's telling this to the disciples who asked nothing about the kids. Who's the greatest? They are. And let me tell you how much God loves them. That's what Jesus is saying. And if it's the heart of God to defend, protect, and actively fight for the innocence and care of children, to give them value and worth, then it ought to be a high priority for us as well. Amen? Let us be a people who reflect the heart of God in this. And so what I want to do is I want to... Consider again the extreme stance that Jesus took in suggesting we remove the possibility from temptation in our lives, but more importantly, in the context of what he's saying, in the lives of children. What he says is, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin or causes these little ones to sin, gouge it out. And that would be an interesting altar call, amen? But it just it shows you just how serious Jesus takes this. I mean, think about think about that if we preach that, okay? Like, um, you know, some of you, your your hand has caused you to sin. We got a slab up here and a hatchet. Come on down. God wants to do a work in your life. Let's go, right? I mean, we wouldn't get too many people raising their hands and coming down to that altar call, right? I got a hot poker. Let's gouge those eyes out. But this is what Jesus is saying. And, and now before, I, I don't want you to worry. This may be your first time. And you've heard stories about how crazy this church is. I don't want you to freak out just yet. We're not going to get the hatchets out this week. Maybe come back next week. We'll see. But, but before we get the hatchets and the eye pokers out, I, I want to spend 
some time here to talk about some practical, less painful, amen, ways to keep sin and temptation away and fight for our children's innocence. I think we have to be intentional about this. I think we have to be aggressive. I I don't think this is just an accident. I think we have to make some choices in this area, okay? So let's spend some time talking about this. Um, Some of you won't like all of these things. That's fine. Pray through them. Ask if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in this. If he's not, just, you know, reject it. Do your own thing. Um, You you stand accountable before your actions and God. But these are some of these things that I feel like the Holy Spirit has laid on my heart and that he would have me share this morning. And some of these things, like I said, you may not agree with and, and you may find difficult. But what we can't do is fail to move, fail to respond or compromise in our actions just because something is difficult or inconvenient. Jesus doesn't always give us paths that are easy. Jesus doesn't always ask us to do things that are without pain. Jesus is so concerned with your, with your spirit, with your growth, with your integrity, with your righteousness, that he will intentionally ask you to do very, very painful things so that you can have intimacy with him. And so we can't just say it's not God because it's hard. Because Jesus is saying, look, if your hand caused you to sin, cut it off. How many of you know that would be something hard to do? That'd be a little inconvenient. That would put you out a little bit. And he says, but it's better to enter the kingdom of heaven with one hand than two and go to hell. So Jesus is very, very serious about this. So so what I want to do is I just want to spend a a large part of the remainder of our time looking at some practical options that will help you guard your child's innocence. And and I know this isn't scripture, and it's very possible that this is just a rant, but I'm hoping at least that it's guided by the Holy Spirit. I would also say this. I know that this topic is so specific that it may not fully apply to you in your situation. You may not have kids that you oversee in your home anymore or yet, but I I think it's important that we understand the heart of God in this. And so I just want to talk to you about a few things, okay? Just some practical advice, some practical wisdom, some parenting things. We'll go through this here. Um, First, I would say this. When it comes to your children, monitor all of their online devices, monitor all of their online devices. This should go without saying, but it's important for us to say it. Parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, adults with money, if you buy your child a device, an electronic device that has access to the internet and you don't set up any sort of parental block or control on that device and you give them unfettered access to the internet, then then I, I believe that you become personally responsible for the temptations to look at the garbage that the internet has to offer. Monitor those devices. Set up passwords. Invade their privacy. That is one of your God-given rights as a parent. Amen? Invade their privacy. Look at their history. Look where they've been. Look where they're going. Find out what they're watching. Find out the people that they're talking to. In almost every children's app that has any sort of ability to communicate online, you will find predators in that app that are trying to make physical contact with your children by setting up a meeting. Monitor those devices. Protect those kids. Invade their privacy. Make them use their device in the living room or the kitchen or the dining room table. Don't let them run off to their bedroom and close the door all the time. Make them ask permission every time to get on 
the internet. Monitor those devices. Number two, I would say this. Invest in a circle. The circle is a product that the Disney company put out years ago, and, and it's, a, it's an in-home Wi-Fi monitoring device. It's $99, and it works wonderfully. Basically, any device in your home that goes through your home Wi-Fi is filtered through this device, and you can block out any website. You can block out any words. You can put parental uh, controls on there. You can monitor Every single phone or iPad or notebook in there, it will tell you exactly who is looking at what and when. It will give you the opportunity to block any apps or any websites. If a friend comes over and they got their phone and they're typing in a website um, that is inappropriate, that you don't want in your home, then it'll say you can't access this in this home when you're connected to the awesome, right? It's a great first step. It helps protect and defend the innocence. I would say this, discipline your children. This is a God-given mandate. We have a responsibility as parents to discipline. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24 says, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. This is, I believe, biblically, the number one way to guard their innocence. Be intentional about discipline. Have a plan. Be respectful. Be Christ-like. Figure out before you're mad how you're going to discipline because if you don't, then you're going to discipline wrong when you're mad. So figure out how you're going to do this. This is our responsibility as parents. There's a wonderful book called Shepherding Your Child's Heart. We've read it. We've done Sunday schools on it. We've walked through it. Um, there are some things in there that maybe not everybody agrees with, but, but as far as I can tell, reading it and applying it, it has done great things in producing a biblical foundation for discipline in our home. We find it effective. Figure it out for your family. Discipline. God calls us to. If you love your child, then you discipline. That's what Scripture says. I would also say this, learn as parents to say no. Let's try this, everybody, no. That's a pretty easy word to say, but it's really hard to enforce as parents. Learn to say, look, I don't care if you're mad at me, the answer is still no. I don't care if you're crying, I'm immune to your tears, little one. The answer is still no. Um, if you're going to guard your child's innocence, then you have to learn as a parent to say and stick with no, even when it's hard. This last week, we had some plans, you know, for the weekend. We were going to do like a movie night and ice cream. We'd been talking about this for a couple of days. We had it all planned out. And then just as we were getting ready to like start, um, a couple of things happened. Some of the kids were misbehaving. And so we disciplined and said, you know, look, we're not doing this. And, uh, and man, there were tears. And it wasn't just like the, the, the sad face and the drops. I mean, there was, <laughs> you know, the hyperventilating tears that lasted like for hours. And you're just like, knock it off. And um, it was really hard. It was really hard. Even like throughout that time, Melissa and I kept finding each other. And we were looking at each other. We we're like, man, should we just do it? I mean, should we just, okay, they've cried enough. They've, they've won us over. Um, should we just let them, you know, have the ice? Maybe we'd just do popcorn instead of ice cream. I don't know what it is about ice cream in our home. It's just always ice cream. But, uh, um, you know, we were talking about this. And we said, you know, let's just do the movie. And, and finally, we convinced ourselves that if we have decided that this was the discipline we're saying no here then let's stick with it and it was incredibly painful it was hard for us it was hard for the other kids that didn't do anything wrong is that fair no is life always fair no are we in this together yes and some of those kids that didn't do anything wrong was like, daddy we were gonna do the ice cream i know i know sorry 
but could we do it? No, no, we're not going to do it. And their tears almost convinced me, but we held strong, right? Learn to say no. I, I believe this. If you don't know how to say no to your kids, they will never learn how to say no to the world. If you don't know how to say no to your kids, they will never learn how to say no to their friends when they're asking them to do things that contradict God's word. They'll never learn how to say no on the weekends when when they're offered drugs and alcohol and let's go to the party. Learn to say no to your kids. Show them by example that it's still right to say no even when it's hard. Protect your kids on social media. Yeah, let's give it up. That's, That's good stuff. Come on, preach, preach it. I would say this, protect your kids on social media. Protect them there. Parents, grandparents, don't post those naked bathtub pictures of your kids. Um, Just don't do it. I I believe that there's a window of of time where you can take like naked pictures of children. It's like two weeks, right? Take those little cutesy like baby booty pictures of an infant. But after two weeks, it's over. You're done. Don't, don't take those anymore. It's your responsibility to guard the innocence of your children. And, and, and when you're posting those potty training pictures, which everybody does, and like, like it's weird, but I get it because it's so much work, and you're like, so happy. Look at them. They're on the potty. Yes, no more diapers. And you're so excited. I get that. But when you're taking those pictures, like, crop the image, for crying out loud. Like, do it from here up. Like, they're smiling. We're all, it's a potty smile. We get it. We can all celebrate with you, and we'll like it, and we'll love it, and all that stuff. But don't be taking those pictures where you can see everything. Listen, we can't We can't tell our kids, we can't try to teach our kids on one hand that something is private and then post it on the internet for the whole world to see. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I would say this, and I'm just ranting here, but I'm going to keep going. Um, I would say also, don't post pictures of your, your little girls without their shirts on. You say, but Pastor Chris, I mean, they're little girls, it's innocent, you're going overboard, um, stop it. You can't even tell at this age. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's innocent and pure. And I get that, you're absolutely right. It is innocent, but it's your responsibility to guard that innocence from predators and perverts that are looking to prey on your children. So take care of them, take care of them. I would say this, have the talk, have the talk. You know what I'm talking about? Don't rely on the school or the church even. Don't rely on their friends and and heaven forbid, don't rely on Google to teach them about sex, okay? There is a popular illustration that we often use. It's uh, when you um, go to the grocery store and you get all your groceries and you come home and the groceries are in the back of your trunk and you invite your kids to come help you. Uh, The little ones, you don't give them the milk, do you? Because it's too heavy. You don't give them the eggs either. Although the eggs are light, you don't give them the eggs. Why? Because they're too delicate. You give them things that they can handle. You give them the bread. You give them the chips. And as they get older, you put more on them. In the same way in having the talk with them, you don't give them the things that are too heavy for their little minds to handle. You don't give them the things that are too delicate at the beginning. You wait until their age is, they're old enough and it's appropriate to hand those things to them. Don't give them more than they can handle when they're too young. But have the talk. Um, This Wednesday night, out in the foyer there, uh, in the coffee shop, we're going to play a video. 
It's one that we've shown in the past. It's from a children's pastor in Arkansas. He, he preached this message, How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex. It's one of the best um, sermons on this that I've ever heard. It'll give you some practical advice. And so if you have a child like 5 to 12, I would encourage you to be here to listen to that message and we can have some conversations about it. But it gives you some really practical advice. But you have to have the talk. I would say this too. Have a no questions or off limits policy in your home. Don't ever get mad at your child for asking a question. Because if they're asking a question to you, it means they've heard or seen something somewhere, and you need to address it. I remember when I was 12 years old, my dad had had the talk with me, and I mean, it was the full-blown talk. It was everything. And he said, hey, Chris, come sit down. I want to talk to you. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. I figured we were going to talk about basketball. And then he starts saying some things, and I'm like, my mind just exploded. You know, and, um, and I remember, man, it changed my whole world, and I was now in the know. I was woke, as the cool people say today, and a couple weeks later, we were at this house, and we were watching a movie with some friends of ours from church, and there was a girl there. She was about six years old of the family of the house that we were at. And uh, as we were watching this TV, there was a lot of people in the room, so there was lots of different conversations going on. But on the screen, there was two adults kissing, and everybody else was talking, and this little girl kind of sitting next to me, she says, "Um, are they having, and she couldn't think of the word, and so she says it again, are they having, and nobody's listening to her, but I am, because now I know about this world, right? And so I'm like ultra sensitive to it, because I'm thinking, no, that's not the thing, but it's leading to the thing, that's how the thing starts. And... um, and so she finally figures out the, the word, and she blurts out, are they having sex? And um, her aunt was there, and her aunt freaked out. Her aunt said, what are you saying? Don't you ever say that. I don't want to hear that word coming out of your mouth again. Don't, oh my goodness. And she's just appalled, and she's freaking out that she would ask this question, are they having sex? And even at 12 years old, I remember thinking, no, she shouldn't have responded that way. She's just asking a question. She doesn't know how she's supposed to learn if she doesn't know. She obviously knows the word. She's obviously heard the word. So explain to her, no, this is not the word. You know, this is not sex. I mean, I, I knew at that moment that she responded inappropriately by yelling at her for asking a question. In your home, have a no questions or off limits policy. Don't get angry at any questions. Doesn't mean you have to go into detail on everyone. Don't overreact. Guard their innocence. I would say this. Practice your anti-freak out face. Because your kids are going to say or do something that you're going to have to, like, you're going to want to freak out about. But you got to practice that poker face. Sometimes they'll say something inappropriate or do something inappropriate, and they may not fully understand how or why it is. Don't freak out. Don't yell. Don't respond in anger. Stay calm. Take it as an opportunity to appropriately teach them. Amen? Practice that anti-freak out face. I'll add this. When it comes to parenting teenagers, there may be a day as, as the world so aggressively tells them that they have to be sexually active, they have to try these things, practice these things, and gives them all sorts of crazy suggestions on how to do this and get away with it. There may be a day where you find your teenager in a situation or you hear that your teenager is acting in a way that you don't like. Um, I know you'll be angry. I know you're going to be disappointed and sad and frustrated, but don't ever call them names. Don't ever call your kids names when it comes to this. Don't ever call your daughters names like slut or skank or whore. Because listen, there's going to be enough boys in their life 
that are looking for one thing that are going to call them those names? There's going to be enough mean girls that they fight with in their world that are going to call those, them those names? Don't ever let them hear that come out of your mouth. No matter how mad you are, don't, don't, just don't say it. Don't say it. Um, I'm running out of time. I'm just going to keep going here. When it comes to social media and your kid, um, be fashionably late to this party. Hold, hold off. I, you know, let them be a little bit older. Let them be the last ones to the social media party. Uh, in our home, we've made some decisions. People think we're helicopter parents and living in fear. We're not living in fear. We know who God is. We know um, that God protects them and oversees them and defends them and watches them. But we also take real intentional steps to guard their integrity and guard their intimacy. In our home, we don't do overnight sleepovers. We just don't, even with people that we really, really trust. We just feel like it's our responsibility to guard them at their most vulnerable times. Night times are their most vulnerable times, and so we feel like that's what God has placed on us specifically, so we don't do any of those sleepovers. We guard our daughters. We guard the intimacy or the, the innocence of our daughters. When they come to church and, and they're wearing dresses or skirts or anything like that, we put little bikers shorts on them so that that they can crawl around on the floor because they're going to crawl around on the floor anyway so that they can sit crisscross and their innocence can be guarded and protected parents do this if you have little girls and you're sending them in their dresses put little biker shorts on them so they can run up the the inflatables and stuff and still have their innocence guarded you know what i'm saying we just have to be intentional about some of these things I'm not in any way claiming that my kids are perfect or that we're perfect parents, that we're not going to mess up and they're not going to mess up and, and we're not going to have to have times where, where we're praying for them and repenting and all this stuff. But, but we as parents are going to do everything we can to practically guard their innocence. We pray Psalms 139.5 over our kids that God would go before them and follow them and place his hand of blessing on them every day. We pray this because we know that we alone will fall radically short in doing this and we need the daily power of the presence of God in their lives. We take this seriously in this church. We put policies in place to guard their innocence. And I'll tell you why we do this. Because I'm convinced that Satan's top priority in your child's life is to shatter their innocence. He's got one mission for your child, shatter their innocence. His top priority. An article came out last month about a child's sex ring that was uncovered. And it wasn't uncovered in India or some other continent or in some third world country. It was uncovered in Oregon, in Oregon State. And this was the opening line of the article. It said this, investigators in Oregon have discovered a massive child sex ring in which children were sold as sex slaves to high-ranking pedophiles for as much as $5,000 a night. I'm convinced that Satan's top priority for your children is to shatter their innocence. And if children hold a special place in the heart of God, then children automatically hold a special target in the mission of Satan. You have a massive responsibility in this. This article goes on to say that the target age group in this ring was boys aged 11 through 13 and girls aged 10 through 14. And it says the victims keep getting younger and younger and younger every year. Went into detail about how these kids are groomed and trust is formed and, and oftentimes it's a family member, an aunt or an uncle that grooms and sells the child. If they try to escape, they're branded when they're caught to let them know what will happen if they try to escape again, but to also remind them who they belong to. 
One woman who had escaped this nightmare named Ella Smile, she doesn't even believe that's her real name. That's the only name she knows. She's been in this for so long. She's so young. This is what she said in the article. She says, in one 24-hour period, I could end up being forced to sleep with five men. Sometimes I could be forced to sleep with 12 men. And listen to what she says next. She says, you can sell drugs once, but you can sell a little girl over and over again. Satan is out to destroy your child's innocence. There's nothing that he would want more, nothing he would want more than to shatter that innocence. I, I was looking at a website, it's called Darkness to Light. It's dedicated to end child sexual abuse. Some of the statistics in that says 90% of child sexual abuse victims know the perpetrator. 68% are family members. Of children who are sexually abused, 20% are abused before the age of eight. They conclude that child sexual abuse is likely the most prevalent health problem that children face in America today, and it has the most serious ongoing consequences. They predict that this year there will be over 400,000 children sexually abused, and they have found that only 4 to 8% of child sexual abuse reports are fabricated. That means that if a child is saying it, they're not lying about it. Man, we have a job. Satan hates everything that is precious to God. Satan hates you, but it would seem that he, when it comes to your child, he has launched a full-scale attack. We must guard, we must defend, we must aggressively fight for their innocence. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.